Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing in the house? Yeah. That had a, that had a beat you could dance to right there, man. Uh, we're so glad you're here today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, if you're in our lobby or out on the tent, in the tent, the Fresca tent, we call that. Welcome, welcome to church. If you're online with us, thank you so much uh, for joining with us. It's so good to be back. If you're new here, um, I've been out for the last month and, uh, and I'm a little bit fired up today. So um, if this is your first time here and you're like, brother has too much energy, uh, it's just an aberration. Okay, anyways, um, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here, though. Um, I want to do two quick things. Uh, Easter is coming, and there's a card in your, in your chair, uh, and there was one on my thing here, but it's gone. I don't know where it went. But I, it's, it's in your chair, and it just tells you about the, the times that we have. We have seven gatherings uh, this year, and we may, we may sneak a, another one in on Sunday. We may do a sunrise service. We've never done that before. We're thinking about it. We're talking about it, but it's not on that card. Um, so this is a perfect opportunity for you to invite people to, from your, your job, your workplace, wherever you're at, um, put it up on Starbucks. They love to have all of our church's stuff all over them. Come on, I'm just kidding. They probably don't, but, um, but just be, let's be a bringer, everybody. And, and listen, even if you're not part of the dream team, um, but you would want to volunteer for Easter, we have all kinds of opportunities for that. You can go by Next Step Central uh, in the lobby on your way out, and they'd be happy to give you some more information about where you might be able to serve. One other thing before I jump in, uh, many of you know that we are in the process of building a new space uh, right back here that is going to be uh, awesome, and many of you have given to that, and I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I just want to give you a little bit of an update. We have been meeting with banks um, and for the first time in our history, banks have been coming to us asking to do business with us, which, come on, the first time around, that's not how it went down. Um, in, in, fact, in fact, it was a really cool moment for our team uh, about a week and a half ago when the president of Frost Bank came here uh, from wherever he's at. He came here, wanted to see our building, wanted to meet our team, wanted to hear our story, and that's not probably a normal thing, but it was a really cool thing. And so they've made us a, an offer. We're waiting on two more uh, this week or next week. And so there is progress being made. I know you can't always see it, but it takes a little bit of time. We could just go put a shovel in the ground, dig a hole, but then you would trip over it, sue us, and it would be weird for everybody. So I just want you to know we're making progress. We're going to get this new space up, God willing, and it's going to be uh, a great new space to put uh, all the folks um, that are coming to our church and for our students, for our young adults, for our kids. They're going to have new spaces. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to that. And I want to just say thank you to Pastor Andy, Pastor Danny, uh, and the team, uh, Dave Galbreath, who spoke for us last week, everybody who's covered us here over the last month, Pastor Russ Cripps, uh, Russ Cripps, who was here in early February. And I want to thank you, all of the team, all the staff, just thank you, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for the cards you sent. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. We love you guys so much. It's awesome to be back. It's an honor to be back in God's house today with you guys. We're starting a brand new series um, for the month of March from the book of Philippians that we're just calling Joyride. Joyride because Paul's letter has a lot to do with how to have joy, how to live in joy in spite of your circumstances, but also Joyride because we're only going to spend four weeks 
in a book that should take us about 12 weeks. So we're just going to take a quick joyride through uh, Philippians. I wonder if any of you ever go out or have ever gone out on a joyride. Just me. Okay, so I'm gonna be, it's going to be a lonely day for me up here today. You know what I'm talking about? You, you roll down the windows. You, if, you, if it's a converter, you take the top. You, you, you turn on the music. Come on, if, if, if you're like me, you're turning on Journey. Come on, somebody, Journey. Nobody? All right. Maybe Foreigner. That's how old I am. I'm rolling up with Journey and Foreigner. All right. Um, you, you go somewhere fun. Uh, my first joy ride was when my dad bought me our old next-door neighbor's old car. And it was a 1976 Oldsmobile, that's not even a thing anymore, uh, Cutlass Supreme Coupe, right? So this thing was, was so long, it was from here to the back wall. It got like four miles to the gallon. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that kind of car. My dad would give me $5 for gas every now and then, so you could back it out, and then you have to go right back because you're out of gas already. But I remember my first joy ride, I was like stoked. I have this old car, it's kind of cool. Um, but I picked up, I, I, my church was on the south side. I went, I lived on the west side and I rolled up with some of my friends over on the south side. And some of y'all don't know about this because you're not from here, but we would cruise southwest military. Anybody feeling me on this? Six believers uh, in the house today. Anyways, here I'm rolling up some pasty white gangster, you know, coming, rolling up down Southwest military, right? Cruising like some, like some pale rider. Come on, somebody. Dudes are flashing signs and stuff. And I thought it was like a W, you know, or something. And I was like, yeah, a Whataburger in the house, you know, trying to fit in. I don't, I don't know what's even happening right now, right? But I had to stay in the far lane because you would cruise and everybody would park and you'd check out cool cars. I was staying in the far lane because it had a three-inch gouge all the way down the car that had rusted out. And I was hoping if I got far away, nobody could see that. But of course, if you, if you rolled up on, south, on the south side and you went down Southwest Military, you stopped at Don Pedro. Anybody? No believers. No believers on this. But we were so poor. Come on, we were jamming a journey, but we were so poor that we had to get the half order of bean and cheese nachos. No meat. Come on, we're too poor for meat. But, but I'll tell you something. Those of you who are not from San Antonio, you, you get in Ohio, you get jalapenos that are sliced in the round. But on the south side, we cut them long ways. Come on, you know what I'm talking It's long. So your nacho isn't missing any space without some jalapeno. I don't know what that has to do with a joyride, but that's just what's up right now, okay? Joyride. Um, we're going to roll up on the book of Philippians, and we're going to roll through the book of Philippians in the same way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to do verse 1 and verse 2 and probably not get past that today. And, and what I want to remind you while you're looking for that is Paul is going to remind us, um, or let me remind us rather, that Paul is writing this uh, from prison. He's incarcerated. He wrote four prison epistles. He wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say this. He wrote four of those from, from there. We think he's in Rome because he says that he reached some of Caesar's household with the gospel. That's why we think Rome. He establishes this church in Philippi after he's received a vision, a night vision. It's happening at night of a man calling from Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, saying, come over and help us. He gets his crew, and they go over there to start a church. So now we come to verse 1. As we read these two verses, I want you to notice how much it has to do 
with identity. This is the greeting. This is the greeting. A lot of times people will skip over the greeting in, in the letters from Paul, but you don't skip over the greeting because there's a lot in the greeting that's going to tell you what's coming. So here's what he says. Paul and Timothy, this is only the second time he does this. He includes Timothy. Paul's the writer. And he's going he's gonna to self-identify servants of Christ Jesus. And then he's going to tell them who they are to all God's holy people. Other translations will say to all of the saints, all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers, the bishops, they would call them, and the deacons, the people who are running the day-to-day operations of the church. And then verse two, grace and peace. Say that with me. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse one and two is where we're gonna hang today. So let's just start at the very beginning. He says, the letter is from Paul and Timothy. Paul is the author, so to speak, but he's adding Timothy because he's got an agenda with this letter. And I think we'll see why in just a moment. Paul identifies himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Now, servant, biblically speaking, is sort of a benign word. We all kind of get the idea of that. But really the word is, in Greek is doulos or duly, right? Which, which means slaves. So the modern translations will kind of avoid that word slave because of its connotation, the horrors that are associated with it, especially here in our own country with our troubled past of slavery. So the translators kind of clean up the word, and, but the word is really slaves. And Paul, so he's saying Paul and Timothy, slaves, of Jesus Christ. Now, remember with me who Paul is. If you're not familiar with the Bible, let me refresh. Paul is the great apostle who writes around two-thirds of our New Testament. He's the greatest evangelist who ever lived. Maybe Billy Graham is somewhere in that league, right? He's the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Here's Timothy, his protege, his son in the gospel, his right-hand man, to whom he delegates his own apostolic authority, sends him to Corinth to clean up the mess in Corinth, sends him to Ephesus to become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So just so we're clear... Paul is self-identifying as slave, but these are two giants of the faith whose impact on us, even today, is incalculable. And yet, when Paul is telling them who he is, he doesn't say, hey, I'm Paul, the great evangelist, the great missionary. In other books, he says, I'm an ambassador or I'm an apostle. Here he doesn't use that designation, right? He's not saying I'm giant of the faith, founder of your church. He says doulos, right? Slave of Christ. The church has had divisions in it. It had had strife. And so he's showing them right in the beginning what humility, what a posture of humility is like. It's not, hey, Paul, I'm Paul. I'm rolling up on y'all and I'm a, I'm the, I'm, I'm a big bad dude. He's showing us what it looks like, humility looks like. And, and, and then he addresses the leadership of the church, the, the, the elders, the, the deacons, right? And, and then he also includes, and this doesn't happen very often, he often includes all of the saints, all of the, uh, the, the members of this church. And what he's trying to do right out of the gate is saying, hey, there are no spectators in church. We're all on one big team. We're all pulling the same direction. We're not celebrity pastors, celebrity Christians. We're all on a dream team. We're all responsible for the gospel partnership. And this is a word he's going to use in a minute, a phrase. Gospel partnership 
is a huge part of this letter. And as we find out, as we read through it, it's what brings Paul so much joy as he, and he speaks of it again and again, that these people have been willing to partner with him, with God, to bring the gospel forward. Nine times in this one letter, he, refer, he makes this phrase, all of you, to, to all of you, not just the leaders, not just the sort of upper crust, but all of you. He's doing this right from the beginning, again, division, strife in the church, and right from their greeting, he wants everybody to know we're one. We're all together. We're all on the same page. We're in the same church. It's me. It's Timothy. We're servants of Christ. Let's be unified. Let's get on the same page. And what's happening in this letter is not just the joy in every circumstance that we sort of know from Philippians, but what I think is the larger point of this letter is that the gospel of grace, to please hear this, that the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus, that, that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He, he wants that, that good news of that gospel to, to change us so much that we join together, brothers and sisters in Christ. We pull together in full partnership with God to do the work of God in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our workplaces, wherever we are. We, it is incumbent upon us to be uh, partners in the gospel. And Paul wants the Philippians, and by extension, all of us, to be so impacted by the good news of Jesus that they are willing, that they are able to, as he's going to say in verse 27, Seven. Let me just read this to you really quickly. Uh, that, that we could live our, let your manner of life, let the way that we live our life be, say this with me, be worthy of the gospel of Jesus, of Christ, right? So that whether I come and see you, and he, remember he's writing this from prison. By the way, he's not going to come back and see them. He's not going to get out of there. And, 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 or whether I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are not. Notice these words. Say them with me, would you? You are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake, for the faith or the sake of the gospel. And I think this is the target of his letter, that they live their lives worthy of the gospel, which has saved them. But not only that, but that they are standing firm in the gospel, standing firm in the word, not, not being sort of swept off their feet by the tides of culture, by the winds of change, not losing their grip on the reality that this, isn't, this life is not all there is. The reality is that they are part of a kingdom that is not of this world, and that kingdom has a king whose name is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the king of kings, right? And that they stand firm in this fact, in one spirit, one attitude, that life isn't all there is, that this life isn't all there is, that they don't let the culture, the world, the spirit of the age, as the Bible will talk about, that, that take over their lives, but they stand firm with one mind, meaning they're all on one mission. They're not on mission to promote themselves. They're not on mission to exalt themselves, to make much of themselves, but they are on, on mission to advance the gospel, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring grace, to bring compassion and kindness to the world around them, to make much of Jesus, that if they're gonna strive for anything in this life, they're gonna do it together, one spirit, one mind, together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and this is, by the way, the mission for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Christians, like our life is a mission 
right? We are on a mission. We are our missionaries to bring, to bring glory to God by making much of him by the way we live our lives in our everyday world, by the way we treat others, by the way that we serve here or elsewhere, by, by the way we make a difference for Jesus wherever we go. And listen, we have to catch a vision for this. Like, like, like if all we ever do throughout our lifetime is attend a church, we missed it. If we ever just come show up and clap and sing here and there and sort of applaud, right, we will miss the larger mission. If this is your church, we are all on mission together. There is a responsibility that is implicit in this. We're all in partnership together. And you may have never thought about it like this before, but if you're a Christian... You're on a mission that's way better than, way bigger than just you and yours. And we've got to stand. Listen, please, in a world where it's changing, it's shifting all the time, we got to stand firm, one mind, working side by side for Jesus, getting the gospel out to the world. There, there are no spectators in God's kingdoms, kingdom, only gospel partners, people who say, hey, God, put me in the game. Wherever you want me, put me in the game. And so right out of the gate, he says, verse one, hey, it's, it's me, Paul. It's Timothy, my friend Timothy, slaves of Christ. And what he's doing with the very first words is he's saying, this is, this is what it's going to look like, everybody. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to take. This is what's going to, uh, uh, what, what kind of attitude, what kind of disposition is necessary if we're going to have the gospel form us in such a way that we stand with one spirit and in one mind, standing firm on the gospel in partnership with God to get the gospel, to get Jesus' good news out into the world. And, and the only way that you and I will ever ever be able to live this out over time is that we first and foremost see ourselves as Danny, servant, slave of Christ Jesus. Come on, that's got to be my posture. Danny, servant of God, slave to Jesus, bought at a great price, the very precious blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed from a life of sin and a slavery, a kind of slavery to self and selfishness and pride and ego and visionless living. But now, because of the cross of Jesus, I'm alive. I'm living in freedom. I'm walking with hope. I'm given purpose. And my life is now fully devoted to the God who saved me. And this, everybody, is the mindset of those who will change this world for Jesus. It's the mindset. This is why John says in John chapter three, John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. It can't be all about me and mine. So, so, so I just want to tell you something. We have a mission and we have values and we have a vision for, for the church. But I want to tell you as, as one of the pastors here at LifePoint, we have one large goal for every person who would call this place home is that at the end of their lives, they will be able to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And that's the vision we have for our children and our, our students and our young adults and our married couples and our middle 
middle-aged couples and everybody that at the end of this life, you will be able to stand before God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful. Sir, nothing else matters, everybody. Nothing else matters but that. And that's the goal, that, that we take people from where they are and we help them take steps to where God wants them to be so that when they stand before God, they can say, Jesus Christ was the Lord of my life. And I lived my life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling them, and Paul is telling us that the only way we're gonna be effective like that and highly useful for the cause of Christ is not because we become celebrity pastors, whatever that is, or celebrity Christians. It will happen when we all have a sense of the sacrificial servant-hearted devotion that is necessary to following Jesus. Verse one. But I'm going to come back to verse one. Hang with me. Verse two. Ready? Everybody read it with me. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ordinarily when in Roman, the era, the, the time that Paul's writing this, ordinarily they would have used a Greek word, charion, which means greetings or salutations. When you're writing a letter, this is how you would, in fact, I think it's Acts chapter 15, verse 23. The, the elders in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, are writing a letter to the new Gentile believers, and they started out with that word, charion, right? But Paul doesn't use that verb. He uses a noun uh, that is similar. It's the word charis or charis, which means, of course, grace. And Paul is starting his, his salutation to them by telling them of the unmerited favor of God towards, towards all of us who are un, undeserving people, like the Philippians, and by extension, you and I. Now, now for the New Testament, if you, if you know the Bible, this is like one of our big words, grace, right? And it's kind of a catch-all word that describes all of the blessings, all of the benefits that come to us through our faith in Jesus. And then Paul uses a word that is sort of distinctly Hebrew. That's a Greek word, charis. But, 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 but then there, there's a, a Greek word. I mean, a Hebrew idea is this idea of peace. In the Old Testament, the word was shalom. And this is sort of the same kind of an idea. Shalom is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of peace with God, with other people, and, and really within that the gospel, Paul says, that the gospel uh, of Jesus will bring both grace and peace. And those two words together are very intentional by Paul because they are giving us this sort of comprehensive picture, this comprehensive reality of what God has done for us through Jesus. That everything that we actually need in life is sort of summed up in these two words, these two spiritual realities that are on offer, grace for our sins and peace for our troubled hearts. As, as Jesus says to Paul, it's all sufficient grace for our weakest moments, our worst ways in life. Peace, and, and, and coming alongside is peace to calm our fears and our anxieties. Grace for the truth that we are we are spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus and peace that, that comes to us in the knowledge that, that, that God has given us more than we ever deserved in our lives. It's grace, the old hymn says, that has brought us this far, yes or no. 
It's grace that's brought us this far, but it's also grace that's going to lead us home. It's peace that silences the noise of the enemy who is the accuser, who brings shame, who brings guilt. It's peace, Paul will say later in, in Philippians 4, 7. It's peace, that the peace of God, which passes or transcends all understanding, will guard your, your heart and your mind. These are the two places that we are most vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And so the peace of God is not passively just sort of there. It's actively standing guard over the two places that we are most vulnerable. It's grace for our sins. It's peace for, for our conflicts. So, so when we see grace and peace to you from God, we need to know what's on offer here. This is what's coming to us, what is offered to us in the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. This is the comprehensive response to all of the pain, all of the hurts, all of the brokenness that sin and life can deal us. And today, after every gathering, people have walked up to me to describe the pain and the struggles that they're going through. And I'm just telling you this. I'm digging deep here because some of us have walked in here or we've tuned in here and, and we're just trying to sort of understand what's happened to our lives or what's happened to our relationships or what's happened to our, 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 our well-being. And we're trying to deal with the current reality that we're facing in this life. And, and I'm saying to you, that whatever has happened to you or, or whatever is happening in your life right now, whatever flaws, whatever failures, whatever damage, whatever damage has been done to you or has been caused by you, whatever brokenness has come to your life, whatever diagnosis has been spoken over your, your body, the response to all of it is grace and peace to you. From God, grace, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God, Paul says, comes to you. Peace, that sacred, promised assurance that God is with you and that God is for you. And, and even if you're walking through the very valley of the shadow of death right now, like it's hanging over your head or hanging over the head of a loved one, or maybe the shadow of depression or fear or anxiety or worry, the peace of God to you. The peace of God is coming for you. The peace of God, which transcends all of our ability to comprehend. And, and you would say to me back, yes, but Danny, you don't know what's happened to me. And I would say back to you, grace to you. Come on, somebody. And, but, but what about my past? What about what I did? Now, I'm not talking about the distant past. I'm, I'm talking about right now. I would say to you, grace to you. Yes, but, but what about my, my anxious heart, my troubled life, my, tr my, my broken mind? I would say peace to you that whatever is happening, whatever you're going through, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody, somebody needs to hear this. Grace and peace 
to you. And, and I want to just keep working this for just a few more moments because there's more here in these verses. And, and I just want to say, if, you're, if you've ever been the kind of person who has struggled like I have throughout my life, wanting to know how in the world could, because of the way I was raised, because of the kind of way I implicitly interpreted what I was taught from a child, I, I, I would say, like, I, I don't know if I can believe that grace and peace are coming for me because, because of, of throughout my lifetime, uh, uh, failure or unworthiness or shame or undeserving, whatever it is that you're, you're dealing with, it's hard for us to realize that's being said to me. Grace and peace to you. And so Paul says, I, I've told you who we are. I'm Paul. This is Timothy. We're the slaves. We're doulos of Christ. This is the church. These are the elders. These are the deacons. You guys are the saints. I want to define for you your reality as a follower of Jesus. This is what he's saying. So one more time, verse one, this time from the ESV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the, say it with me, to all the, super weak. Let's do it one more time. Ready? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Say it with me one more time. To all the saints. You see, for me, it's hard to see myself like that. We have a struggle applying the word saint to our own lives. We think of saints as, you know, old believers from times past, right? If you come from a Catholic tradition, we think of these kind of super believers that have been like exalted in, in various ways and we maybe pray to them or we light a candle, but, but this is not what Paul actually intends here. A saint is a holy one or a set apart one, if you're taking notes, right? But the inference is not about how perfect you are. It's not about your piety, your personal piety. It's just describing, it's just describing the reality of what, 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 who a person is who has come to know Jesus, trust Jesus, and follow Jesus. The person who says yes to Jesus, Paul is describing the reality of that person's identity is now saint of God. And what I love about him calling the Philippian church in particular saints is who they actually were. What we know about this is that this writing from Paul happened, happens 10 years after he's founded this church on his second missionary journey. He gets this vision. He crosses over to Macedonia, to this town of Philippi, right? Acts chapter 16 tells us what happens when he gets there. He finds when he gets there that there's not even a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. There's not, meaning there's not 10 Jewish men in this city to form a, a synagogue because that's what it took. So what, what does he do? He goes down to the river, outside the river. He hopes that he will find some Jewish believers there. And so he goes, come on, in a van down by the river, and there's some, I don't know. There's, there's this lady there, and her name is Lydia, and she's a, a wealthy woman who sells purple fabric, which is a very costly thing. She's a high-status woman, and so she converts to Christianity, and she says, why don't you guys come stay at, at my house? But then as they begin to do their work around Philippi, Philippi, 10,000 mostly retired uh, Roman soldiers who've been put there, stationed there, 
to live and to have freedom and to have all the rights of citizenry, right? And, and not to have to pay the same taxes everybody else does. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's inhabited by people who worship pagan gods, right? Mostly they worship the Caesar, right? And, and, and so as they're walking around doing ministry, there's this girl, this slave girl who follows them around and is like, this is the guy. They're coming to tell you about Jesus. Well, they're so annoying. She's so annoying day after day. She's a fortune teller, by the way. She's making a ton of money for her, her masters. And by the way, one day Paul gets sick of her following him around and he says, you know, get out of her. And, and this, this evil spirit has to leave her. Well, now she can't tell fortunes anymore. Her masters are furious. They beat Paul. They beat Silas. They trash them, throw them in a, in, in a Philippian prison. Do you remember this? And at midnight, the Bible says they prayed. They sang songs of freedom and joy. They're bruised. They're beaten. They're bloodied. They're battered. And about midnight, the Bible says that the, the ground started to shake and the chains fell off of them and the doors opened. And so everybody escapes, but Paul and Silas don't run away. And there's a Philippian jailer and he's about to run himself through with a sword because somebody's going to kill him for this happening. And he says, don't harm yourself. He preaches the gospel to the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer says, would you come to my house? They go to his house. They baptize the entire family. So the first converts were Lydia, a seller of purple, purple, rich lady, a Philippian jailer who's kind of in the middle crust and down at the very bottom of society is a slave girl who has been a fortune teller. And now all of a sudden, these are the first members of the church at Philippi. And Philippi is the first church formed on the European continent. No Christian church ever exists before this church does. And the very first saints are these people from these very desperate backgrounds who all come together through the gospel of Jesus, right? Their church look like our church because we're all from different denominations and diverse backgrounds who have come through the gospel of Jesus because the gospel of Jesus, everybody, is the great unifier because everyone's equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus so that people from different social, racial, economic backgrounds all come under, under the banner of the church and we are united in Christ. And Paul says, because we are united in Christ, because we are in Christ, we are saints. So that Galatians 3.28, Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Meaning the old has gone, the new has begun. Whatever identified you before you came to know Jesus is no longer the dominant definition of who you are. Paul says the old life of sin is no longer the defining characteristic. So listen, saint, we've been set apart by God and we've been set apart for God. Say it with me. We've been set apart by God and we've been set apart for God. That's what makes you a saint. Now, this doesn't mean, everybody, that we no longer struggle with, the, with sin or, or the past. But what it's saying is there is an ongoing, say that with me, there is an ongoing process where sin is being dealt with or, Paul would say, mortified, put to death, right? An ever-increasing uh, newness of life that you don't always feel, that you won't always experience, but there's an ever-increasing spiritual newness of life happening, and we call that lifelong process sanctification, meaning I'm not perfect, but the Holy Spirit has made me new and is continuing to make me new. But we cannot miss 
When Paul calls them saints, he's saying something changed at the very core of their being when they gave their lives, when they gave their hearts to Christ that has made them holy, globally different from the rest of the world around them. Meaning, spiritually, that the dominion and power of sin has been decisively, once and for all, overthrown in your life and mine so that now Paul can say of us, we are the saints, the holy ones set apart by God for God. You may not feel like a saint because you're like right now, don't call me a saint, bro. You don't really know what's up in my house. You may not feel like it, but you are. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, what God has done in your life is so supernatural that nobody can take it from you, right? This is your identity, a saint in Christ. But you don't have to root for the saints. Come on, somebody. You can still root for the cowboys. Come on, somebody. Talking to you, Eric, back there in the back. Come on, somebody. All right, just kidding, Eric. Paul, Paul will tell us how this all happened. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, And you also were, say this with me, included in Christ. This term in Christ appears 33 times in the book of Ephesians alone, 160 times in Paul's writings. It's super important. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, but you didn't just hear it, the gospel of your salvation, but when you, say it with me, when you believe, when you put your trust in, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit Say this next word with me, what? Guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance, which is Jesus and heaven. And until the redemption of those who are God, say this with me, this is why Paul says we're doulos, slaves of God. We are God's possessions because we have been bought with the very blood of Jesus, a great price. We are the possessions of God. And and all of this is to the praise of whose glory? God's glory. So when you're in Christ... You are set apart. You are a saint. You are God's possession, right? And and listen, if you don't come to realize this and not only realize it and acknowledge it and make mental assent to this, if you don't start to live out of this reality, you will have a hard time believing that God's grace and God's peace has come for you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You will have a hard time believing. You'll believe it for him or her or them. You'll have a hard time believing it for you because I know what happens to us. We, we will not be the persons, the people that we wish we were. We will not be the people that we want to be. And so if we don't learn to live in the reality that there's been a work that has already been done and there is a work that is being done. Yes or no? There's a work that's already been done. No one can take that away from you. And there's a work that's ongoing. You'll never be able to believe that God is for you. You'll never walk in the freedom of that reality. I have. I have missed this reality much of my life. And listen to me, whether you call me your pastor or not, I don't want you to miss this reality because this is about your identity, the very core of who you are. And people will look for their identity in our world. They'll look inside. Right? They'll look inside. Hey, I'm trying to figure out who I am. They'll look inside. They'll look around. They'll look outside. But the only way you and I are ever going to find our identity is by looking up. We must start there. If you don't look up first to Jesus to settle your identity as saint in Christ, then you'll look inside. And what will you find inside? Your feelings 
your inclinations, your proclivities, right? And if you look in for your identity, you're gonna allow your feelings, your urges to define your reality, to define your identity. And that becomes messy and oftentimes destructive. So if you say, okay, well, I don't look in, I'll look out. Then you're gonna allow culture to define you. You're gonna allow other people's opinions to define you. And you will compare yourself. You will come to live for the praise and the approval of others. And that will put you ultimately in a very defeated place. But when you look up, when you start there to Jesus for the source of your identity and you, and, and you realize you and I who follow Jesus, who have trusted Jesus, are saints in Christ, that becomes the primary foundation of who you are. Then you can look in to find your divine de design. Then you can look outside to discover your purpose and what you were made for. So, some of you are old enough, not many of you because I'm looking around, old enough to remember that sort of iconic image uh, in Baghdad in the, in the Gulf War when the Iraqi soldiers along with the U.S., uh, the Iraqi people along with the U.S. soldiers um, pulled down that statue of Saddam Hussein. And, and I remember watching it live and they were cheering and they were chanting and they pulled down, they had it hooked up to a kind of like a, almost like a crane looking thing and they pulled that down and the statue fell down and the people erupted. Um, and, and even though it was just a symbol of the man himself, it wasn't the man himself. In those people's minds, it represented, and I want you to just kind of take this spiritual analogy with me. It kind of represented the end of a regime that had long held them captive, and in a moment, his rule and his power in their lives was broken when that statue came down. And yet the man himself lived on for several more months, running, hiding, and they finally find him in a hole in the ground. Do you remember this? So when grace and peace comes to you, when the reality of that I'm a saint of God in Christ Jesus, when that becomes the reality, what, what that means spiritually is that the old dictator, sin, the dominion of sin has been decisively toppled once and for all. He will never again have absolute mastery in your life. Doesn't mean you're never gonna sin. Doesn't mean you're never gonna have struggles. That does not what it means. It just means he will no longer have mastery in your life. And yet there is true, there's some truth that that old spiritual tyrant will poke his head up out of that ground sometimes to say, shame on you for what you did. Look at who you are. Who, who do you think you are? You think you're a saint of God? He's talking to everybody but you. And that's why Paul says, no, 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 I want to start out by giving you your identity. I know that you've all come from disparate backgrounds. Some of you have come from the bottom. You, you were a slave girl, fortune-telling. Some of you were jailers, and some of you were wealthy people. No matter where you come from, I want you to know that first and foremost, you're, you're a saint of God. You are set apart by God, and you are set apart for God, and and He is, and you are the possession of God's God's own uh, life, and so Jesus Christ has on Calvary rung freedom's bell, and the power and the dominion of Satan and sin has been de defeated, and 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 I would say to some of you because again I know I know what happens. Some of you are right now drowning, in whatever is going on in your life. Maybe it's a sinful thing going on in your life. Maybe you're confused about who you are. Maybe you're having an identity crisis like so many people in our world are, and you're wondering, can God help me where I am right now? And listen, I know, I know, I know. Some of you have struggled with the same 
issues, the same sins, the same problems over and over, and you have felt defeated by your adversary, and you have felt stuck in a lifestyle, you've stuck in an addiction, stuck in a pattern that has brought, maybe, maybe has brought deep shame to your life. You have felt trapped and defeated. You wonder if, if God has enough love for a person who calls themselves a believer but has fallen short again and again. I think the answer of the gospel is absolutely he does. And the proof of that is what Jesus did for you. While we were yet sinners, Rowan says, Christ died for us. Died for, died for the ungodly. He stepped into creation. He lived a perfect sinless life. And even though he never deserved death because he was perfect in all of his ways, we are sinners. And the payment of our sins, Romans says, the punishment is death. But Jesus chose to take death upon himself as the perfect sinless lamb of God on the cross so that you and I might have life and liberty and hope. His love drove him, his love for you, his love for me drove him to die in our place, to pay the price for our sins so that now if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we put our faith and our trust in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, we get new life. We get a new identity. You and I are not defined by our sins any longer. We are the saints in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that when Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that you have been raised up with Christ, right? That I have been, what that means is that I have been co-resurrected with Jesus. That I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Ephesians says. But because of Jesus, because of the, of the grace of God, we are co-resurrected. When, when Jesus rose from the dead... He gave me the opportunity to raise up from whatever failure, whatever past, whatever mistakes. It, it's then. And this is really good news that identity is a gift from above. And this is why Paul says in Romans 12 that you and I have to have our minds renewed to the truth of the gospel, that you have been set free. And yet, listen, you may struggle sometimes. And yes, it's true that you may fall down, but in the end, listen to me, child of God, you will be victorious. You will defeat that old dark sin. That old giant of shame is coming down. What was done to you has been dealt with on the cross. Whatever has shamed you, Colossians 3 says, has been nailed to the cross of Jesus. You are not defeated. I don't care how, how you feel. You, you will not fail. Your adversary has been defeated. So we walk in Christ. We walk in newness of life. We walk in liberty. Grace and peace to you, saints of God, in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that every spiritual blessing comes to us from being in Christ. And listen, the, the, the life being in Christ is so rarefied air that sin cannot live. When people are walking in Christ, you will have victory. You are a holy, set-apart person by God. You are set-apart for God. And, and because you're united with God, nothing will ever be the same again. But you have to remember, you are in a process. And the process is your whole life long. But one day, you will stand before God and you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So you don't give in. And you, you, you keep warring against the flesh. We all have to do that. We don't, we don't say yes to sin. We say no to sin. But we, we realize, I'm in process all the day long and one day I'm going to hear well done well done 
He's doing a renovation job on your heart. And one day, you and I, we're going to look exactly like what he had in mind when he formed us in our mother's womb. Psalm says, do not give in. Do not be defeated. You are in Christ. And listen, last thing. If you're here today, if you're listening to this today, wherever you are, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a saint in Christ, you need Jesus just like the rest of us do. Everybody, come on, everybody needs Jesus. Every, what this world needs is Jesus. And yes, it's true that you could change some things in your life by willpower, by, by developing good habits. You could develop some surface things. But I heard this this week earlier, and, 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 and I think this is what's true. When you're doing some, some, some outward change without Jesus, you're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The deck may look nice and neat, but that ship is still going to sink. If you're not in Christ, if you've never given your life to Jesus, surface change is not going to help you at the end of your life. What matters most is that you join all of us together who have been rescued by the grace of God through Jesus. Our lives have been redeemed. We've been purchased. We've become the possession of God, and our lives are over time, and it may take longer for some of us than others. Can I get an amen from somebody? But over time, we are being changed into the image of Christ. We are going from glory to glory to glory, and one day, we will together, we will stand up for for God and say, Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, somebody. And that's why, listen, that's why every one of us have to bow our knees at the foot of a bloody cross and say, thank you, Jesus for what you've done on, the, on Calvary's hill for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died, that you shed your blood, that I might have life and liberty and hope and a future that, that, that looks like my, 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 my life is marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. Your inheritance, believer, child of God, is guaranteed. Let's live in that reality. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.